Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Danny Fangioni. I'm the youth pastor here at Peninsula Grace, and I have the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. Uh, was given a, a few weeks head start, so uh, I didn't have enough time to prepare. <laughs> but excited to share with you this morning, and um, uh, hopefully uh, God can definitely use me uh, this morning. But uh, we are in the finishing stages of our Advent season. Uh, and this Sunday, we're going to be looking at joy. Um, and with that, I will be spending uh, most of that time in the book of Hebrews. I took a very large chunk of it, so I'm kind of going to be skipping stones across the first four chapters. Uh, so hopefully you can stay with me. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's where we'll be uh, starting from in Hebrews 1.1. But I uh, kind of wanted to start by sharing with you a little bit of my uh, a brief backstory. Uh, so I come from a family of 11 kids. I'm number seven, uh, so just past middle. Uh, and we all were homeschooled. My uh, mom uh, just uh, believed that that was the best, uh, best way for us uh, to get an education. And it was, uh, looking back, uh, pretty amazing to see my mom do that for all of us kids. Um, but with that, my mom was also uh, very uh, aware that uh, maybe some of the bad rap homeschoolers might get, and so she, she felt as though we needed to be above reproach in everything that we did, and uh, so whatever bar was set or continued to raise each year from the state with the schools, that we needed to be that much higher, and so myself and my 10 other brothers and si uh, sisters would fall on our knees and beg for us not to get any, any more difficult assignments or requirements with school. So we went to the state and uh, complained. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, but with that, obviously, I tried to find so many different ways to get out of the constant amount of workload, just, just like the rest of us, or many of us, not, a, not all of us. A few of my brothers and sisters loved to do school. I was not one of those. Um, so I constantly was trying to find ways to get out of it. And because of that, obviously, that resulted in uh, uh, bad grades or, or not this uh, strong desire to continue on in my education. After high school, I needed to complete it and be done with it. So my career path was in the trades. I, um, not that uh, you don't need college to go into different trades or anything else like that. I just chose not to. So I went into the trades, just started uh, working immediately. I came up to Alaska to work in aviation, and that was going to be my career path for the rest of my life. That is until I felt this urging inside me to do something else, a different purpose outside of myself. And I felt the Holy Spirit start pushing me into youth ministry uh, by different various avenues that I was involved in. And so when I felt this push, I also felt this uh, strong need to go to school. I I mean, yeah, if I, I've read the Bible, you know, I understand the gospel, I think, you know, but uh, I figured it would be best if I were to go to school, get some Bible training, how to study the scriptures, and then how to convey that to, to students and to other people. Um, so I decided to go ahead and go to school, uh, which was no small feat. Uh, every one of my family members, I'm sure, was praying for me. Uh, not really sure what the end result was going to be. And I, and I knew that it was going to be an incredibly difficult journey. Like I said, I am not a scholarly person by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I have to work tooth and nail to, to complete assignments that fulfill the requirements. 
And so I sought after all my other classmates in, in, uh, in school, the cohorts I was with, other people, constant prayer to get through that time. And I probably went to finish had not the Holy Spirit continued to push me forward to what the end result would be, as well as my wife who got me through my last year. Uh, it was a very beautiful opportunity to be able to be married in my last year of school because I don't think without her that I would have finished. Um, but I did finish. And the joy that overtook my entire being when I did finish was so overwhelming. I mean, I walked out of my last class getting my last grade and just chucked the paper. I was just so happy. Uh, and uh, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed my time there and I did learn a lot. Um, but that feeling of being done was like a calm after a storm. I mean, just so much work and energy. And many of you can resonate with that in a lot of different experiences, not just with school. Um, but it was very emotional for me. I never expected to attend college. So to, to finish that and, you know, hold up the diploma is like, I did it, Mom. You know, it was, it was really big for me. Um, but this process, this struggle that I went through, obviously it's, it's little in comparison to maybe some of the things that you faced. But we push through it because we know that there's a possible end in sight. And we know that there's going to be relief after we get through this process of struggle and tribulation. And I'm sure you face that on many different occasions. But that feeling, and that feeling of joy and contentment after it's all over is memorable. Like you, you, you can hold on to that and think about, I can think back of that time of excitement in my life. I shared this illustration with my wife before, before today, and uh, she said to me, that was the happiest moment in your life? <laughs> I was like, no, it wasn't the happiest moment. It was, it was a happy moment after a hard time of struggle. You know, dating you, getting married to you, that wasn't a struggle. It was the easiest thing I ever did. Uh, but... Uh, that was, that was a difficult time, a, a difficult time that was pivotal for me. But that kind of joy, that, that kind of rest, it was just, it's just a, it was just a memory. It was just a, this momentary time in my life. So what if that promise of, of joy, of contentment, of calm after a storm, wasn't just momentary? You know, what, what if that promise was continual for, from now to the rest of eternity? That's the, that's the kind of joy that we're promised from Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That's the kind of joy that we're looking at this morning in the book of Hebrews. That from this point forward, we can also share in that same joy. But first, we need to understand where that promise is coming from. Who's declaring that promise? What are their credentials, as it were? So we're going to start in Hebrews 1, verse 1. And it says, In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became a mu as much superior to the angels as the name as he inherited is superior to theirs. This is Jesus Christ. This first chapter of Hebrews is proclaiming who Jesus is, 
What did he do to, uh, to, to fulfill or to get this title? Uh, he was the promised Messiah for all mankind. This is the prophecy that was being fulfilled, that was fulfilled from the New Testament that we read in the New, New Testament. The birth of Jesus Christ coming to sacrifice himself for, to, the, to, to save all of us from ourselves, from our own punishment. And he upholds the universe even now. From that position, coming down, being born of a virgin to purify us all from our sins. The author of Hebrews clarifies that no other person or spiritual being did God say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is he. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. And he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father because of the sacrifice he made to bring us all into his family. So that, this is what the first chapter of Hebrews is making this statement of who Jesus is. We see uh, that Jesus was perfect as we skip ahead to verse 9. We see the author quote Psalm 45 saying, You have loved righteousness and have hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And we should understand through the New Testament that anointing can also refer to the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts 10, that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in a few minutes, we'll also see this similar act as a prophecy in, in Isaiah. So therefore, our understanding of God, anointing his son with this oil of joy in verse 9, should also paint for us this beautiful oneness of the Trinity. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, a renowned pastor and author who wrote countless books and papers in the 19th century, and obviously still quoted today, uh, as I'm about to do, he says, from this great truth we learn another, namely, the perfect cooperation of these three persons of the blessed Trinity in the work of our redemption. The Father sends the Son, and the Son with alacrity, I didn't know what that word meant. It means a cheerful readiness um, comes to redeem us and the Spirit of God is upon him so that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have each a part in the saving work and the one God of heaven and earth is the God of salvation. And though there are many attributes of the Holy Spirit, it is this joy, this cheerful readiness that is being bestowed upon Jesus. And this is the picture that we have from Hebrews 1. This is the same joy that is overflowing from Jesus when he says to his disciples in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's not to be taken lightly, but it does beg the question, what kind of joy is complete? What does that mean? It's the kind of joy that prompts us to act as Romans 12, 12 urges us. That is to be joyful in the hope that we have in the future. Joyful in hope, patient in the midst of our affliction, and faithful in our prayers. This cheerful readiness that urges us to look to the promise God has given us. The promise of the eternal rest with him forever. Jesus is telling us to be joyful in the hope we have in Christ for our future which, is, which enables us to be joyful in our circumstances today, no matter the circumstance, because we have a great joy that's been set before us, a, a greater promise for our future and eternity. 
And I think that this, uh, it's really interesting, this anointing that Jesus receives. Spurgeon says it like this. He says, truly he was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Yet this sorrowful aspect was that which he presented to the superficial outside observer. And those who look within the veil of his flesh know well that mystic glory shone within his soul. And then he quotes Psalm 21 that says, Through the victories you gave, his glory is great, and you've bestowed upon him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. And he says, I fully believe that there was never on the face of the earth a man who knew so profound and true a gladness as our blessed Lord. And I 100% agree with that. He painted this perfect picture of what kind of joy he's offering us because he was also able to show <laughs> how he could go through suffering and still hold on to that joy. It's a, hard thing, it's a hard thing to grasp in the midst of a really difficult time to still focus on the joy that he's given us, the, the patience in the midst of our affliction, and to hold out for the hope that we have in the future. And what is fascinating to me is that after we read this eternal blessing in Psalm 21, the joy of God's presence and the victory of God over his enemies, Psalm 22 is then this prophetic poem from David of Jesus' crucifixion. Here we read of the joyful praise and victory of what is to come, and then in the same statement that Hebrews 1 makes in describing who Jesus is, but then it's followed with this mirrored image of Psalm 22, or the, with this following image of Psalm 22, of the suffering that he then walks through. First he says, he's, gonna be, he's the king of the universe, and then he dies on the cross for our sins, and, and we see this painted picture of Christ saying, I mean, I've been poured out like water, my heart is like wax, my bones are disconnected, and, and he, he's walking through the suffering, and yet still at the end of Psalm 22, he, he said, I'm still going to proclaim your name in the midst of the congregation, and I'm going to call everyone my children. Like, no, no matter what he was facing, he was still dwelling on the future hope that he had of being able to call us all into his family. And this is the Jesus that is the, the holder of the universe in his hands, where everything was created through him, is what Hebrews 1 states. So now that we understand that from Hebrews 1, we follow into chapter 2 where it says to pay closer attention to this declaration of who the Son of God is so that we don't drift away. This declaration is asking us clearly, like, don't we realize what we've heard? Don't, don't you remember what you've read? Like, this is the prophecy that was proclared, or proclaimed in the Old Testament, we get so excited about prophecies, uh, I, I think they're just really cool, especially when we see them fulfilled. I, 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 mean, I mean, I know in movies, you know, I can't help but think of Narnia and Beaver uh, telling the, the, the kids and getting mad. It's like, you guys don't know the prophecy? You don't know what's happening? Aslan is on the move. And they're like, I don't know what that means. Uh, and they have to sit there and describe to them what's happening, what's going on. You've got to read between the lines here and find out what's happening. This is the promise that was made back in Isaiah, and then the Messiah is born to them as a baby, and they're still a little bit confused, and yet they're still excited. This promise of freedom. If Jesus, the eternal Savior of the world, had not come 
there'd be no escaping our just punishment, is what Hebrews 2.2 states. It says, it states of every violation and disobedience received, it's just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? His hand is going to lay hold of his enemies. He's going to seize his foes. But those who hold fast to God's instruction and promise, he is going to call us his children. We're going to be called brothers and sisters. We consistently drift away from God. History hasn't changed with that at all. We are first lacking in our faith, and then our actions reflect that. Faith without works is dead. If there's no faith, our works are going to reflect that. We're going to ignore God. For the amount of times that I've lacked faith to keep my eyes set on the future hope that I have and the promise that has been made to me, death and eternal separation from God would be my only path, as stated clearly in Hebrews 2. But God in his sovereignty in verse 9 of chapter 2 says this. It says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, as we read in Hebrews 1, those are his credentials, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and the wo- those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. The one who is crowned with glory is calling us family. And the only way to do this was by lowering himself and sacrificing himself in the midst, and in the midst of his suffering, he was still focused on the joy that was set before him. He came to earth as a, as a little baby, helpless, And he is offering this same anointing that he received that was bestowed upon him by God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit's joy. And we see this promise made way back in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 uh, says this. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, these three things, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So these three things he's giving to us, and he's proclaiming our freedom and revealing to us the light in the midst of our darkness. And this is why Isaiah, uh, this is also what Isaiah 9 says earlier before this, and we read this constantly during the Advent season. Isaiah 9, 2 saying, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned, and you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. All this promise, this promise of hope, of joy, of freedom, and in the Israelites' context, this this excitement, freedom from their bondage, from their oppression, from their slavery, this is what they're banking on. This is what they're hoping for. 
And, but Christ is not telling us just to wait a little bit and then we'll receive this gift, this promise that he's giving to us. He's sharing with us this gift of joy right now in the midst of our suffering for the greater joy that is to come. The joy of assurance in Christ's saving grace, which welcomes us into his family for eternity. We, we can't ignore this joy that's set before us. And, and, and I, I think, I mean, I'm sure that phrase can be a little ambiguous. It's like, what does that mean for the joy set before us? Like, we are looking towards a much greater joy. Christ gives us perfect picture of what it is to endure in the midst of affliction, to have peace and focus on the joy that is, that is to come over the mountain. John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, he says that we are easily amused. We're sitting in a pile of mud, just kind of playing, which can be fun, don't get me wrong. But when right on the other side of the berm is this beautiful beach, and I mean, I mean, if we just stand up and look over it, I mean, we'd see it, but we're just sitting down in it because it's just, it's just more enjoyable. It's, it's right there in front of us. It's easy, to, it's easy to play with. But if we don't pay more careful attention, as Hebrews 2.1 states, then we might drift away with hearts that become hardened, is what Hebrews 3.8 says. As we go into Hebrews 3, it's saying, beware of ignoring this. If we ignore it, we're just going to shut ourselves off, and it's going to be much harder to stand up and look over that berm. It's going to be much harder to crawl up that mountain in the midst of our struggles, to look at the joy that Christ is offering us right now. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8 says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. This is a true account of history. The Israelites were tested for 40 years. They encountered the miraculous works of God. They, they saw the pestilence that was sent uh, upon the Egyptians. And then they saw... Uh, God lead them out of Egypt and they saw him part the waters and they saw his pillar of fire in front of him and yet still for 40 years they doubted him and we look at that and we're just like I wouldn't have doubted him and and yet can we really say that I mean I, I mean I think I can say that but I, I I see myself all too well that I know that I haven't done that Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. This is the confidence he's describing, the confidence that the people of Israel had in God when they first uh, saw his miraculous works. They're like, oh, oh yeah, he, he controls everything. We're, we're going to follow God, no problem. And then 40 years later, that, I, mean, I mean, it was just a constant test, a constant struggle for them to continue focusing on God. It is a daily walk. I know it's cliche, we say it all the time, but it's cliche because it's, it's, a truth, uh, it's a true statement that we need to pick up our cross daily and not by ourselves. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens, but it's a constant thing. We, we have to tell ourselves we die to ourselves daily, right? If we don't do that, 
We're not going to be focused on the joy that's set before us. We're going to be focused on in our circumstances right now. And God is calling us into his rest. And that's what we look as we, we step into chapter 4. He's saying, I promised the people of Israel rest. And they decided they didn't want it. And so he said, fine, you'll never enter my rest. That, that generation. You're not going to enter my rest because you've ignored it. The Greek word for rest here is katapausis, which means a calming wind. And similarly, the Greek word for joy, kara, is a calm delight. That was, that was a feeling I was describing after finishing school. This is a very uh, minimal illustration. But just like this, this calm feeling of like, I finally made it. I finally finished. It, it, it's, a, it's a minimal struggle in the other things that we've faced in life, I'm sure. But that's, that's, that's what he's calling us into. He's like, I'm calling you into this, this calming wind, this, this calming delight. And it's interesting, wind uh, is also referred to as the Holy Spirit uh, through the Old and the New Testament. And this is the promise that he's offering us. I, I promise you, my Holy Spirit, you just, have to, you just have to accept me, believe in me, follow me. And I will bestow this upon you. I will bestow upon you the same joy that's been bestowed upon me. And this is the promise that chapter 4 is bringing to us. The same promise that was made to the people of Israel. And in Ezekiel, in John, in Acts, we read of the Holy Spirit's anointing. And, 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 and we, it's alluding to the idea that it, that it is the wind. And so I just think it's an it's a interesting correlation in the meaning of those words. But we begin with chapter 4, and it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands for us, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. He's beckoning us to join in that same unity we read back in Hebrews 1, that unity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, come on over the other side of the berm. Come hang out over at the beach. We have a great appreciation for beaches because we have a lot of them here, and then we go to Hawaii, and we're like, okay, this is what a beach really looks like. <laughs> um, verse 2 continues by saying, We also have had the gospel preached to us, just as the Israelites did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. And Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message and the message heard through the word about Christ. And today is our decision. Daily is our decision. This is what chapter 4, verse 7 of Hebrews states, that God set a certain day, calling it today. That is the urgency that he's, that he's clarifying here. Right now, tomorrow morning, the next day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't close yourself off. Don't ignore the joy that's been offered to you. We're offered that joy to hold amidst our sufferings right now so that we can enter into this rest with God, this joy with him, so that no one will fall by following their example, the, the Israelites' example of disobedience. That's what 4.11 says. The promise of the gospel has been given to us today through the work of Jesus Christ who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, as Hebrews 12, 2 states. 
This is the promise we have. And who that promise comes from is Jesus Christ, who we've read in Hebrews 1 is the ruler of the universe and the creator of the universe. It's not to be taken lightly, but if it is, it's going to be that much harder to turn back and believe that statement. It's going to be that much harder to stand up out of our mud and look, look over the berm and decide, okay, even, even though it hurts right now, I'm still going to focus on that. I still want to take part in that. And it's not that our countenance, our, our outward appearance is always going to look happy and joyful. That's not what he's saying. It's our hearts. I can, I, I can almost promise you, I won't, but I can almost promise you, I, I don't think Jesus was smiling as he was walking to his death carrying a cross over his shoulder. I, I highly doubt it. But he wasn't doing it thinking like, I, this is the worst thing in the world. I mean, he, he, he was folk what he was doing and what the result of that was going to be. And he, and he came to earth born as a baby, as this helpless child, knowing, fully knowing what was to come. And he faced it willingly. He was patient in the midst of his affliction, and he was joyful in the hope that was set before him. And in the midst of his suffering, he still proclaimed the greatness of God. From the joy of the manger to the joy of the cross. In Psalm 22, though it gives this long description of the pain that Christ was suffering, it still finishes by saying that I will declare your name in the congregation and I will call every single one of you brothers and sisters. And he finishes the tale end by saying it is done. And then we read Psalm 23, that I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. It has been completed. We can't ignore this joy that's been set before us. Otherwise, our unbelief turns into a heart that is closed off to the Lord. And how much more will it be hardened when you face trials and tribulations without that joy? This joy that entered the world as an infant. William Newell uh, warns us of this unbelief in his book, uh, Hebrews Verse by Verse. He uh, was an ex uh, excellent expositor of scripture, was the first superintendent of Moody Bible Institute. Um, and he says that unbelief is not inability to understand, but it's our unwillingness to trust. Even though we hear this massive statement of who Jesus Christ is in Hebrews 1, we still, we just don't quite, quite trust it. And it is the will, it's not our intelligence that's involved with that. And we know we have a strong will. If you look at all of humanity, when man wants something, we just go and grab it regardless. I mean, it, it, and if we decide we don't want something, we try, we stick our feet into the ground, we stick our feet into the mud, and, and we stay there. Too often, we fail to believe that this eternal joy is greater than the momentary joy that others can bring, that, that other things can bring us. We look at the little things like... Uh, I mean, even the illustration of me going to school and whatnot, like it is, I mean, it's a little thing in comparison. But if I was holding on to that as the thing that I was going to teeter my life on, it's, it's nothing 
in comparison to the greater joy that's been set before us. And this is what's being displayed in the book of Hebrews. This is what they're trying to get across. He's saying, don't, don't ignore it. Don't shut yourself out from it. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, who came down as a baby and then sacrificed himself to welcome us in to that family, that unity with him, is, is asking you not to. And that's, that's my prayer for this Advent season, that it is a reminder, a, 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 a constant encouragement. That's the kind of encouragement that I was seeking from my classmates, from my wife, in my constant prayers during school, that I would get that constant daily reminder that I still need to push through. This is what Hebrews is saying to us, is take daily the word of God and remind yourself of the promise that we've been given the joy that we've been offered that's been that's been that is being bestowed upon us if we ask for it that is my prayer for this advent season that it is a reminder and an encouragement for what is to come in the midst of the time that we face here right now would you pray with me father we just uh, thank you for your sacrifice we thank you for your consistent grace continually holding out for us to, to wake up each day and remember who you are and who we are in light of what you've done for us. And Father, we, uh, we ask that this um, Advent season that our focus uh, will be on you and what you've done for us and the promise that you've made for us for our future, that we are not citizens of this world. We have a dual citizenship, that we are, we are here now, but our true citizenship is with you, Father. And we just uh, pray that we would remember that each morning as we wake up, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would help each other remember that each day. We ask all these things in your name.